0: This is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. Ancestor worship is as old as dirt. Whether we lift up our ancestors or condemn them, our true concern is how others see us and what our children will think of us. We pontificate about being on the right side of history because we want to be right even as the prophets announce the condemnation of history and the law proclaims that all of us are wrong. In Matthew, Jesus exposes the whole conversation as a big scam. The question is not which ancestor was right. On the contrary, the point is that all humans are unrighteous and no better than those who went before us. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23, verses 29 to 32. You're listening to the Bible as Literature. this is Father
1: Mark Bulos and this is Dr. Richard Benton
0: and you are listening to episode 367 of the Bible as literature podcast again and again human beings systematically establish credibility by pointing to the past even the americans who in their culture claim not to care about the past and as we've said on this podcast even systematically erase the past in order to hide from the truth of what they are that's why they censored mark twain's book because they don't want to admit that racism is a part of our history and that's why we're in trouble now with white supremacy it's real i just had an experience at a community meeting last night online that was just horrible, and I'm not going to repeat what I heard or what was said. I felt so bad for the young woman hosting the call, she had to end it abruptly. But it's a reminder that our fathers are with us. And unlike all teachings on the earth, Richard, Scripture tells us that our fathers are wicked, and we are more wicked than they were instead of idolizing the past and lifting up our ancestors so we can brag about standing on the shoulder of giants, Scripture ridicules and belittles our ancestors ultimately in order to belittle us. And it goes against everything we believe. The Romans worshipped their ancestors. This is disallowed by the Gospel of Matthew.
1: Yeah, this is such a difficult thing for an American, myself as American, I'm fully inculcated with American values. And I know that a part of me always is like, my job is to do better than the last generation. My job is to improve on the last generation. My job is to not commit the sins of the last generation. My grandparents were racist. So I'm not allowed to be racist. I have to make sure that this is a more just society. And it's very easy to, for me to fall into some kind of self-righteousness and say, see, I'm not racist like my grandparents were. Therefore, I'm better than them. I would not say the things that my grandmother would say. My grandmother would openly admit that she was racist against black people and that this was a problem. But me, no way. I'm not going to say I'm racist against black people. It's very natural for me to say that I would not have been for slavery had I lived in the South in the early 19th century. I would not have been for the wars against the Native Americans in the middle of the 19th century and the end of the 19th century. I would not have been against immigrants in the early 20th century. It's so easy for me to say that because as an American, I want to see that there is always moral progress and I am inevitably a product of the inevitable moral progress. But the thing is, once I think that it's inevitable moral progress, I have no duty. I have no job to do just by virtue of being born after them. Somehow I'm better than them, and it's not fair. It doesn't make sense, and like you said, Father, there's nothing good or bad about my forefathers, my ancestors, and Scripture reminds me that as glorious as you might want to make them, they're not as good as you think, and by the way, like you said, Father, your generation doesn't live up to them even.
0: Father Paul always talks about Lebanon in his youth when he was teaching in the Orthodox youth movement as a preteen and then a teenager— he talks about the prominence of women in teaching roles in the church in Lebanon. But you can't talk about that moment in time as part of a progression, because it's not clear that there's a progression. There was a situation in a particular moment, in a particular setting, where where there was an opportunity that made it possible for women to speak with authority in the church in Lebanon. Is that the case now? Hard to say. Is there really progress? Now, what we do in this country is we start to try to decide which father is wicked and which father is righteous because we still want to have a romantic past. We judge the fathers we think are wrong and we ridicule them and talk about how we've progressed beyond them and then we make idols out of other fathers. And that's really the heart of the matter. We talk about lineage in order to establish authority to judge and in order to set ourselves apart from others. It's the same old game. But in Psalm 78, we learn very clearly that our fathers were wicked, and we have not learned from their wickedness. Just listen to these verses, Richard, before we jump into the woes in... Verse 29, So he brought them to his holy land, to this hill country which his right hand had gained. He also drove out the nations from them and apportioned them as an inheritance by measurement and had the tribes of Israel dwell in their tents. Yet they tempted and rebelled against the Most High God, and did not keep his testimonies, but turned back and acted treacherously like their fathers. This is the theme of the psalm. This is towards the end of the psalm. We've heard many examples of how they acted treacherously like their fathers, with ingratitude toward the Lord for all that he had done for them and disobedience toward his law. And they turned to idolatry. And that's what we've been saying all along, that the wickedness of the Pharisees and our desire to follow the Pharisee instead of his teaching leads us down a path towards idolatry, and it's no coincidence, Richard, that the Romans worshiped their ancestors just like everybody else.
1: So why does God get so upset with idols? You know, a lot of times in the history of religion, idolatry has been about a statue, a thing. But that's not really the problem that I see in Scripture. It's that I created a thing that I worship. And why is that thing worthy of worship? Because I made it. And you have this feedback loop of righteousness, I'm righteous because I worship the right idol, and it's the right idol because I said it's the right idol. Why is it beautiful? Because I said it's beautiful. I made it beautiful. And by worshiping something so beautiful, that means that I'm beautiful. This is the loop, and this is the problem that we get into. Rick Steves wrote a book called Travel as a Political Act. And Rick Steves is a public TV travel guide and things like that. He's a little corny, but I like him. But he says travel is a political act because you actually have to see what's happening in other countries so you can get out of that feedback loop. And for Rick Steves, getting out of that feedback loop is a political act. And I'm going to even raise it one more level, which is getting out of the feedback loop between you and your idol is a religious act. And going someplace where your idols have no effect where you are out of the loop, makes you more wise and makes you more open-minded and, God willing, more open to hearing these words of Scripture.
0: Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, If we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Whenever people debate whether to idolize an historical figure or demonize an historical figure, they have this silly discussion about context. Now, what's interesting, when they talk this way, they are correct to say that you can't judge someone in the past— because they had different information than you have. There is truth to that, and you don't understand their historical context. It's a valid comment, but it also smacks, once again, of self-justification. Whether you are criticizing an ancestor or defending an ancestor or a forefather or a figurative father, as we speak of the American forefathers, your reference is yourself, And your reference is your construct of your imaginary father or mother. It's not about gender. And this whole passage is about not following the teacher. Yet, you're trying to make something of, or discredit, but specifically here, come to terms with making something of an ancestor while overlooking their sins. And there's a connection there between your sins and their sins. And the problem for Matthew is you're still talking about yourself and you're talking about your teacher or your ancestor, which is about you. It boils down to you wanting to find a righteous idol or you wanting to justify an idol so that you can lift yourself up. And everything is condemned in Matthew because there's only one judge who is beyond the reach of
1: human condemnation. This is the loop so clear from this passage. And the way that we see our forefathers, like you said, it makes all the difference. And so let me take another example here. Like I said, my grandmother would say explicitly racist things against black people. She was living during the time of Martin Luther King. And she never said this, but I imagine she was no fan of Martin Luther King. So I can go to Washington, D.C. and I can lay my wreath at the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial and I can talk to my friends about how I went and I did this and I can disavow my grandmother for being a racist and how I'm improving on the morality of my grandmother by laying this wreath at the foot of the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial. What this is called in modern parlance is performative. I made myself look good. I disavowed bad things from my relatives. Richard, there's a sale on white paint at the local hardware store. I'll pick up a gallon for you next time you have to do that. There's nothing better than a coat of white paint to make everything look good. Right, Father? (laughs) That's what Matthew said. That's (laughs) great.
0: I'm sure that's what Matthew said. I'm I'm sure that's what Ezekiel meant. (laughs) Just cover it up and you'll be fine.
1: Cover it up. Exactly. Because the nice thing about covering it up is you don't have to look at the leak that's been ruining every coat of paint that's been put on here. You don't have to look at the cracks in the foundation, the cracks in the mortar that have been causing the problems all the time. Because when I say Martin Luther King was correct in saying this, and my grandmother was incorrect in saying this, who's the reference point? I am. I make myself the reference point. This is my idolatry. I show the shiny, bust of Martin Luther King in my office that I worship. But here's the question, do I do what he says? Do I listen to what he says? The Pharisees want to put a fresh coat of paint on their equivalent of their Martin Luther King Jr. bust to make it look nice, so that they look nice, but they ultimately want to be the judge of both the prophet's and their ancestors we
0: want to point to our fathers and our mothers and lift them up whether we are lifting up the fathers or mothers we deem righteous or we are trying to excuse their unrighteousness we do so because we want to lift ourselves up or we hope more insidiously that our children will lift us up it's a game I'm intimately familiar with the psychology of the clash between Western liberalism and Near Eastern patriarchy, because patriarchy or matriarchy functions in order to preserve the tribe, not the individual. But when it is transplanted to a society of individuals, the sin here in Matthew is amplified, because where there was a chance that you lift up an authority figure in order to save the community in a patriarchal society, in a Western society, if you lift up a character, you are definitely lifting that person up because you view yourself as next in line. That's always the case in kingly patriarchal systems. It's just amplified. The wickedness is amplified by Western liberalism because everybody wants to be a matriarch or a patriarch Everybody wants to be next in line. Everybody has a destiny in their Disney cartoon. It's wicked. Matthew is attacking your hopeful destiny, the seeds of which are first made manifest in your ancestor worship. So stop it. And it's beautiful, Richard, how he points out that in witnessing that these people are your fathers and your mothers, You are laying bare the truth of your own wickedness. That's what we're trying to explain in unlocking the mechanism of this text.
1: If I'm going to be honest, I have to say I am the son, the grandson of a racist. That's where it begins. The fact that I know that fact, the fact that I am saying it, does that make me better? Absolutely not. Because I'm not the judge. So I have to say, I am that racist. I am the racist of my grandmother. I come from her line. I'm not smarter. I'm not better than her. Let's start with that. I can't condemn my grandmother on the basis that she didn't adorn the sepulcher of the righteous Martin Luther King. I can't say that because that's not something that does anything for anybody. What I can say is she didn't follow the teaching that Martin Luther King put forth. But that's not enough, because really, the question is, am I following the teaching of Martin Luther King? If I'm not, then I'm condemned by that. I'm not saying that Martin Luther King is the gospel. I'm condemned by whoever would say that that's righteous. And if I do do it, then I am righteous. I'm doing the righteous act. Now, let's take this back to Scripture. I have a lot of conversation with Christians who don't understand the relationship to Israel. If I am following this book, I am hoping to be a son of Israel. As a son of Israel, I fall in line with all the sins of Israel. I am no better than my forefather Jacob, if I'm in this tent of the sons of Israel. The hope that comes to Israel can be my hope as well, but I am one of the sons of Israel, I am one of the sons that killed the prophets, just like my father's, and that continue to do so. And so my only hope for righteousness is that I follow the teaching of the one who is the judge of the righteous and the unrighteous.
0: So you testify against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. The funny thing is, and I think you just... Explained or illustrated this point, Richard. Matthew wants us to bear witness to the fact that we are the sons and daughters of those who murdered the prophets. Matthew is teaching us that we are their children, that we are not children of Abraham through the Lord's promise, through Abraham's trust in the Lord's promise. We are choosing an earthly dynasty. Just like Cain, we are the children of Cain through the line of dynasty and empire. We are not the children of Abraham's trust in the Lord's teaching. That's what we have to admit. That's what we have to confess before the Lord. So this isn't about smashing your ancestors or lifting up your ancestors. It's about the breadcrumbs on the patent in the liturgy. When you put the crumbs for the dead, the particles for the dead, and for those who aren't Eastern Orthodox, when we prepare for the service, we put particles of bread next to the lamb on the patent for the living and the dead. Now, we do this because God has dominion over both the living and the dead. He is the universal judge. But the implication of that teaching is, is that we are no better or no worse than our ancestors and we are no better or no worse than those who come after us we are all lumped in together under the lord's judgment and it's ominous for me as a priest because i'm about to carry that lamb to crucifixion so the judgment is very serious Rich. Matthew is being faithful to his teaching that there is one judge. So why are you looking back to your ancestors and evaluating? This is my critique of popular psychology, not the science of psychology, Rich, but the popularization of gossiping about all the reasons why other people have
1: created your problems.
0: It's the same mechanism here.
1: Owning my own problems and owning my own sins. This is the teaching here because the Pharisees want to keep showing how righteous they are. They want to own their righteousness. They want to own their righteous acts, but they don't want to own their sins. I noticed this when I was writing on Hosea. Hosea is very funny because it says that Israel are the children of a whore. And it's very easy as a Christian. There's so many outs that I can take. Well, I'm not unfaithful to my wife. I'm not actually Jewish. You know, I can say I'm not. I'm not Jesus came, so I don't have to worry about this stuff anymore. There's so many theological outs I could possibly take. But I found that the most helpful way to read Hosea is to think, "Huh. That's strange. I never thought of myself as the son of a whore. What does that mean if I Want to declare these as my fathers, then what traits, thinking in genetic terms, have been passed down to me? How does my sin get reflected in this passage? And it made me see what idolatry meant in a much deeper way that I don't have any statues in my house that I bow down to, that I do anything with. So does this not apply to me? I can't assume it doesn't apply to me. I have to assume that it does apply to me. So then I take that and I say, okay, well, what does it mean to worship idols? Well, he actually says, it's like when you start believing in your own actions and in your own will and in your own strength and in your own abilities, that you start to trust in yourself and you forget to trust in the Lord. And I thought, ah, okay, I can, <laughs> that I can see. I can see when I'm trusting in myself. I can see when I'm trusting in myself when I get upset that I don't get as big a bonus at work as I was hoping. I can see that I'm trusting in myself when I get upset that I can't get as much work done in a day or I can't write when I feel like, or I can't listen to a thing because, you know, I've got pink eye and I'm looking at a screen that's making my eyes burn. And I can get upset about that. But this is me wanting to control things. This is ultimately my idolatry. Then I say, no, I turn to the Lord again, and I say, let us give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever, and then I go back to the psalm, and it's the teaching that pulls me out of my sin, that is the sin of my ancestors, and the only thing that can save me is those words given to me by God by no value of mine, no virtue of mine, no righteousness of mine. Let us give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever.
0: Therein lies the genius of the Bible. Because Matthew is showing you that your fathers, your ancestors are wicked. He's showing you that your teachers are wicked, so that you can realize the truth of your own wickedness. And then he's calling you to rejoice, Because if God can make out of the wickedness of the Pharisee a light to the nations, he can save you also. Fill up, then, the measure of the guilt of your fathers. Thanks very much, Dr.
1: Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature.
0: Thanks for listening.